right, good morning, everybody. Hey, um, there's a, at least, I, I'd say at least once a week, but more than likely, it's probably uh, like once every, I don't know, every day. Uh, but I will see something or I'll hear something, I'll do something, I'll read something that, that like I just think to myself, I'm like, I got to share this with somebody. Like, I need to tell somebody about this. Somebody else needs to get in on this as well. Uh, a lot of times it comes in the form of, like, Instagram reels. It'll be like, oh, there's a golf video that I need to text Jake and Jimmy about because we should go golf right now. There's no snow on the ground yet. It's going to be a beautiful afternoon, guys. Let's go, right? We'll do that. Or uh, I'll see, like, a barbecue video, and I'll, like, send it to Christy. I'll be like, I'm making this, okay, because this looks delicious. Or sometimes it's just something completely ridiculous that I'll say, I'm like, that's funny. I need to share it with someone. Uh, a couple of days ago, scrolling through Instagram, this reel came up, and there's a deer, and it's up on, like, its two hind legs with its, sh- with its front legs on, like, the shoulders of this guy, and it's trying to nibble this guy's ear. I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. And you may or may not know this. We have a wildlife officer, Officer Trevor, who's a part of our church here. So I sent it to Scott, and I'm like, I think this is something my local wildlife officer should know about. I don't know what to do with this, right? It's just like, hey, I just, this is, we share things, right? And, and then I've been on the receiving end of that as well, sometimes sharing of good news. Um, our community group got a, got a message this past week from a friend that said, hey, got this new job opportunity that was really, really exciting. Um, Pastor Paul sent me a message this week with a picture of a new sign idea for our sign out front because we got to update it since we have two services now. It's been needing kind of a fresh look anyway. And so he's like, here, I want to share this with you. This is a natural thing that we do, right? We see things, we hear things, we're like, I want to pass this on. I want you to know about this. I want somebody else to know about this. Um, it's just a natural rhythm of our life. We share these experiences with people. In this series we started last week, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about sharing, guys, because sharing is caring. We, we are, because we're talking about generosity. Uh, but the thing is, generosity, we often think about, because of our cultural context, we think generosity, the first thing we tend to think about is dollars and cents and bank accounts. Because, like, it's just like our stuff is the highest priority in our culture. Um, but we said, hey, listen, there are things of far greater value than our money. And what would it look like for us to be generous with those things? What would it look like for us to share those kind of things? Uh, and we see this in sharing our knowledge and our experiences in the world. Right? We, we see something that we say, hey, I really enjoyed this, and I thought you would too. Let me share this with you. This was really helpful to me. I thought it might be helpful to you as well. Let me share that with you. Hey, this brought, oh, this is a really big deal to me. This is super important, and it's brought me so much joy, and I just want to, I want you to share in my joy, and so I, I share that with you. And so that's a, a natural rhythm of life, that we share those kind of things. And if we're followers of Jesus, and he has made a massive difference in our life, like we have an experience with him that has completely changed us for the better, I think it would follow and make sense that we would say, you know what, I want to share that with the people around me as well. Like I want them to know who this Jesus is and what he has done in my life. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about that idea uh, of we're talking about being generous, but being generous with the good news of Jesus, like sharing that kind of good news. So in this series, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're letting the Apostle Paul's letter to uh, the church in, in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, kind of guide us on this journey. Um, and so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2 this morning, and we're also going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. So if you want to like mark those, if you're carrying a Bible with you, there's some at the back. They're going to be up on the screen as well, but I know some of you like hard copy Bibles. So 1 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians, and then we're going to shift over to what he says to the Corinthians and land on this idea of being generous with this good news. So let's just jump right in. First Thessalonians, I can say that. First Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 9. Paul says this. He says, you remember our labor 
and our hardship, brothers and sisters. Working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preached God's gospel to you. So he's continuing kind of in a train of thought that uh, we looked at last week in this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is kind of like pouring out his heart to the, the, the church of Thessalonica. That he's talking about himself and his, his kind of traveling companions. He's like, we cared about you and we loved you and we, it, was, it was not easy for us to bring this message to you. They, they faced troubles and they faced persecution and they faced hardship. And he's like, I just want you to know so much that, that we love you, that we care about you, that our love is genuine, that we didn't want to burden you. So again, he's reminding them of this, and he's saying the thing, the motivations behind going through everything that they went through and all the difficulties, they had this motivation to bring God's gospel to the people of Thessalonica, God's gospel, and the word gospel, it simply means good news or good announcement, and we're going to kind of flesh out exactly what this gospel is a little bit later in the message, but for now, Paul's just getting at this idea that that God has done something in the world through Jesus that is good news to everyone. Like it is a good announcement. And so he's wanting to go around just saying like, hey, I've got good news. There's something that I want to share with you because it's really, really good. God has done something. We wanted to preach God's gospel to you. He continues and says, so you are witnesses. Again, talking to this gathering of Jesus followers in the city of Thessalonica. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, how righteously, how blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. And so it's interesting, as he begins to talk about preaching the gospel to them, he also makes this note of uh, the, the, the power of the gospel is not just empty words to the apostles. They're not asking something or proclaiming something to the, the churches that they themselves have not experienced and isn't transforming them. He's like, no, you can tell by the lives that we're living, by our conduct among you, uh, that we walk the walk. That the, the gospel is, is words that they were proclaiming, and then the people could see the evidence of it in their life as they are proclaiming this message. We walk the walk. He continues and says, hey, as you know, like a father with his own children... We encouraged, we comforted, we implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. So Paul uses the example as he's trying to conjure up this image in the Thessalonians' mind, this, this example of a father with his children. Now, last week as we looked at the first part of this chapter, he talked about uh, the example of a mother. And so he's using these two ideas. As last week, he talked about just sharing their lives with the Thessalonians, being generous with the time that they have and pouring into them. And he says, we were gentle with you like a nursing mother cares for like an infant child. Just the, the time and the sacrifice and the dedication and how a, a mom in that season just like, there is nothing about this season that is about me. It is all about that child. And Paul's like, that's how we were with the Thessalonians. And now, now that he's got them thinking about this picture of a mother, he's like, you know, let me, let me flip that and let, let me talk about a father as well. Not only were we like a mother with you, but we were also like a father. And he highlights this kind of instructional role of a father to his children. Uh, like in the verse before, he talked about kind of setting an example, right, by how they live. But then he says he also, like a father, encouraged, comforted, and implored them to move them in a direction. He's urging the Thessalonians to live a life, or as he says, kind of walk worthy of God, 
to live a life worthy of God and worthy of the kingdom that he has invited us into. And so there's this kind of twofold picture. He's like, I've cared for you like a mother, and I've devoted this time into you, and I've poured into you. But at the same time, I haven't just coddled you and been like, oh, everything's fine, everything's good. He's like, also like a father, I've like called out like the potential in you to say there's more for you, there's something better for you, God has something for you. Step into actually living the power of this gospel and what it does in your life, caring for you like a mother, calling you into something greater like a father. And they have this picture. Paul's just like, I want the gospel to be preached and to make a difference in your life. And so kind of with all of that in mind, verse 13 is going to give us the idea for this morning of what we're talking about. Verse 13, he moves into this idea. He says, this is why we constantly thank God. So he actually opened this letter in a chapter before this. He, he opens his letter by saying, hey, with the, to the Thessalonians, we thank God for you. Like every time we're praying, we are so thankful for you, like uh, what God is doing and who you are. And then he gets into his letter, and now he says, this is why we thank God for you. You know how a little bit ago I said we're so thankful for you? This is, this is why. We thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. There is a, a really intentional kind of interplay between some of the words in this verse. Uh, like the, the, the actual uh, subjects or, or, or the people that are mentioned here. There's the idea in the relationship between you, meaning the Thessalonians, God and his role in it, and then us, meaning Paul and the other apostles. He, he says that what you received, so Thessalonians, what you received, the thing that you received was the word of God, and you heard it or you received it from us. There, there's something that came from God because he started verse 9 by saying, here's what this word is. We preached God's gospel to you, this good news. And so this thing originated from you. Paul's like, this isn't my gospel. It's not my message. This isn't like the church, like corporate. This isn't the church's message. This isn't some idea of like Christianity or some rules. Where like, like This is God's good news. It comes from him. So there's power in it because it's God's. And it's coming to you, to the Thessalonians, but it is being delivered to you through us, that Paul and the apostles are kind of like this conduit through which God's grace and his message was being delivered to them. And then there's this really cool thing on the back end. He says, because this is God's gospel and there's power in it and you've received it from us, it, it works effectively in you who believe. That is like, it, it does something to you. I, I, like don't, don't ever think, and this is really good news, and it's also a little bit scary. Can we just be honest? Don't ever think that if you start like leaning in and trusting in Jesus and like, like yes, I'm letting the gospel affect me, you will not stay the same. Like he will mess with you. And sometimes it's painful, but there's always so much like beauty and life on the other side of it. There's something that happens that, man, if I've been following Jesus for any length of time and I am the exact same today as I was you know, 20 or 30 years ago when I started following Jesus, there's a problem. And it's not to say that there's like this instant like, hey, cool, I'm good now. Like I'm, I follow Jesus and I'm perfect. That's not going to happen this side of eternity. But this idea that, that through like the working of the gospel, the working of the spirit, there's going to be a continual transformation in our lives. He's like, it, it, it works effectively in you who believe. That there's going to be something that happens in your life that is so good, it is so beautiful, it is what God has for you. But notice the pattern. There's the word of God that people receive and it came through other people. Right? What you receive, you heard it from us, it comes from God. If you begin to kind of read Paul's letters to the different churches in the New Testament, you'll see those ideas coming up over and over again. Like he'll tell the church, it's like, hey, this is from God, it's to you, it's through us. It's from God to you, through us. 
One of the other places where this, this comes up, this kind of language, is in 1 Corinthians. As Paul writes a letter to the church uh, in Corinth, the Roman Empire, he writes the letter sometime in the early to mid-50s, so just about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says the same thing to them. He starts talking about the gospel. Except to the church in Corinth, after he says, you receive this, he goes on to say, now let me remind you of exactly what that gospel is. And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is like, if you, if you were to ask, like, show me one place in the New Testament, where would you go to tell me what the gospel is? 1 Corinthians 15 is the place where it is most succinctly stated. I mean, it doesn't include everything. Like, we learn about the gospel through, through, through the gospels and through the other letters and the life of Jesus. But it's like, give me one place. I'm going to 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul puts very, very shortly, here's what this good news is all about. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes and says, hey, I want, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters. So again, he's talking to followers of Jesus, this time living in the city of Corinth. I want to make clear the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So first thing, he's like, I, I kinda, I'm kind of reminding you of this gospel that I preached. And so Paul's writing this in the early to mid-50s. A few years prior to this, he had actually visited the city of Corinth to declare Jesus for the first time. And all these people start following Jesus, and now they've had some issues. The church in Corinth has lots of issues. It's a very, they're working through some stuff. They're human like we are. And so Paul's like, let me, let me remind you of the gospel. Let me remind you of the thing that when I was there, you were like, yes. And if you notice, it's got the same pattern, right? He starts off by saying, let me make clear to you the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the word of God, right? As he said to the Thessalonians, this was God's gospel. It's the word of God. It's the power of God. The gospel from God that I preached, and what did you do? You received. Here it is again. This is God's gospel. It's something he has done in the world, and I am telling you about it, and you have received it. And the Thessalonians, he says, it works effectively. To the Corinthians, he says, by which you are being saved. It does something in you. It changes you. It affects you if you hold to this message. And so he's going to get into it, but before he does, he's like, I, I passed it on to you as most important what I also received. So it's interesting, before he begins to tell the Corinthians what this gospel is, before he explains it, he's like, I want you to know that this isn't just something that I'm telling you about, that I'm kind of removed from, but I myself have received this gospel. Kind of in a, in a twofold sense, the Apostle Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It entirely changes his life and transforms who he is. And so in one sense, Paul has received the gospel, the transformative power of the gospel. But then also in another sense, after that happens, Paul goes and spends a lot of time with the other apostles, the disciples. And he learns from them about their time with Jesus. So he's received that instruction. So it's like, before I tell you about the gospel, what I want you to know is, I've heard it, I've gotten the instruction, and it has changed me as well. The, the, the Paul's declaration of the gospel, we think of all that the apostle Paul does. He travels around the known world at the time. He tells all these people about Jesus. Let us not forget that he does that out of the overflow of what God had already done in him. Like, he doesn't just show up and be like, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and you need to know about this. But he, he does it from a posture of, I've experienced this. Like, this changed me. This affected me. Like, I'm not the same as, as I used to be. And so out of that overflow, Paul's going to be like, here is some good news for you. And he's going to give them the good news in the form of what uh, pretty much all historians agree and biblical scholars that, that this is an early, like, Christian creed in the way that he says this. Uh, and so creeds were something that were developed very early on that were, was a way for people to memorize and pass on information, like really, really important information from one group to the next. 
this is at a time when uh, like they didn't have Bibles like we had. Like there wasn't just like written copies of the scripture uh, floating around. If you wanted to read some Old Testament, you could maybe go to a synagogue and they'd have some copies of Old Testament scrolls. The New Testament is just now being written. So maybe there's a letter from Paul or John or, or Matthew or something starting to circulate. But for the most part, the average Christian living in Corinth doesn't have like a written text that they can just be like, I'm going to go to this. And so the way that they would pass this information on were these memorable like statements and pieces of information. What Paul's about to say, most people that study like the scripture from like a uh, kind of dating kind of perspective would say this is an early creed that came about within the, the first, at the latest, the first few years after the resurrection of Jesus, at the earliest, maybe the first few months after the resurrection of Jesus. So in other words, this gospel that Paul is going to proclaim, he's like, this is what the church has been teaching from day one. And here's what it is. I passed on to you what I received as of most importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The short little, like, here's the gospel in a couple of sentences. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. Boom, 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 boom. Paul's like, there's the gospel. And you can expand it, and there's much to be expanded upon. He's like, he's like here is this snapshot. Shot. Christ died, buried, risen, and seen. Let's tell everybody about it. This is how the gospel began to spread. But in Paul's definition of the gospel and him reminding the Corinthians of this, there's some really, really important parts. And I would argue that one of the most important parts is the way that he starts it, and we often look right past it. Not the things that Christ has done, but it starts with the statement of who Jesus is. So here's where the gospel starts. The gospel is that Christ. Um, he didn't say the gospel is that Jesus. Right? He doesn't use the word Jesus, the name Jesus here. We're talking about the same person. But Paul wants to be really, really clear about what he's saying. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. But Christ is, is kind of like the Greek rendering. So our New Testament is written originally in Greek. So Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew or Jewish concept. So the Old Testament is in Hebrew of the Messiah. The Messiah was God's like promised deliverer, the anointed one, the long expected one. Literally the Messiah was God's final king who was going to come and establish God's kingdom. A king was promised in the line of David whose, whose reign would never end, whose kingdom would go on forever. And in that day, like God's justice and his righteousness and his goodness would come into the world and they're like, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for our king. And so when Paul's like, here's what the gospel is, understand that the gospel begins with King Jesus. The gospel doesn't simply start, well, it's, not, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about you're a terrible, wretched, dirty sinner, like sometimes that's how it's like portrayed us, like you're just awful. He's like, no, no, that's not where the go- any of that starts. Like, yes, there's a sin issue, and yes, you're involved in this, and yes, all these things, but understand the gospel begins with King Jesus came. The king has come. The king has come. This is a story about a king in a kingdom, and what does he say about this king that makes it so powerful? Because kings are not always well-received. A king in this context, to the, the people living in Corinth, they're citizens of the first century Roman Empire. They're very familiar with emperors in power and being dominated over. Just stay in line. You exist and you live to serve and exalt the king. Kings are usually seen in that way, but he's like, I want you to know something about this king that makes him very, very different. See, this is a king who died for his people. Usually kings demand that their subjects die for them. I'm the king. I am most important. You will die for me. But this is a king who shows up and says, I am here to lay my life down for people because I love them. He is a king who is good, who is loving. He died for our sins. That's what Paul says, that the king came and the king died for our sins. 
according to the scriptures, that the Old Testament had predicted this, had talked about this. Most famously is, is probably Isaiah's suffering servant, written like 600 years before Jesus is born. We see Isaiah saying that, that he will be pierced for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our iniquities, that, that we'll be healed by his stripes, by his wounds. It's like this, this Messiah, this king will die for our sins, that he'll be buried. He was buried meaning he was, he was really dead and not just like buried for the sake of burial, but this idea of he entered into the realm of the dead, into the grave, into Hades, into Sheol. This place was like, humans, we all die. You don't come back from that. He entered that place, but he didn't stay there. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he began appearing and he appeared to Cephas. It's just another name for the apostle Peter. And then to the 12, the other disciples, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Uh, that's Paul's way of telling the, the Corinthian church, you can fact check me if you'd like to. Again, this is only about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Many of these people are still alive. Some had fallen asleep. That's his way of, of saying they've died, which even is a really beautiful way uh, in Christian theology of saying, he's like, no, they didn't die. They just fell asleep. When you go to sleep, you wake back up, right? And so Paul's like, some of them are asleep, but some of them are still awake right now. You can go talk to them. And then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, then to all uh, of the, the apostles, the other leaders in the church there. And then last of all, get this, verse 8, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, some translations say as one abnormally born, he appeared also to me. I was like, I'm not, I'm not like the rest of the people he appeared to. I'm not like the rest of the apostles or the disciples. The, the apostle Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. He didn't know Jesus, didn't trust Jesus while Jesus is walking around doing his earthly ministry. Paul, in fact, was, had the, the, was about the most extreme opposite end of the spectrum as you could be. The Apostle Paul, before he came Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. He's a Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee, and he hated Christians. Like, he, he, he made it his life's work. He thought that Christianity was like a cult spinoff, blasphemous version of his, of his Judaism. And he's like, I am going to kill all of them. That was his goal. He went around having prison, Christians thrown in prison, having them beaten, uh, approving of their executions. This was Paul. But then he had that encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's actually on his way to have Christians arrested and thrown into prison when Jesus shows up to, to, and appears before him and he's blinded by the light. That's where that phrase comes from, by the way. And you're going to have that song in your head. You're welcome. And, and Paul is just like, he's completely changed. By Jesus. And, and, and like in a moment, he goes from wanting to wipe out the Jesus movement to being the biggest proponent of the Jesus movement and declaring the gospel all around the Mediterranean Rim in the first century. This happens to Paul. And he talks about that experience. He's like, he was, he was born to me. Like, I, I was like one born at the wrong time. I wasn't like the rest of them. And I love Paul's flow of thought here. Because to me, as we read this, it seems like he's like, okay, Corinthians, I want to tell you the gospel. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. Here's this creed. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was risen. He was seen. And he starts talking about the people who saw him. But then when he gets to himself, it's like he can't help but just like get off of the track of I'm just teaching you something to I have to tell you about my experience with Jesus. It's like he just becomes so enthralled with the beauty of Jesus and what he has done in, in Paul's life. He's like, I got to tell you about this because he, he appeared to me. And then he goes into this this idea about God's grace in his life. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
by the great God has been so gracious to me. I didn't deserve it. I can't believe what I was doing, but he is so good. He, he, he did not consider me a lost cause. He showed up in my life and said, you are worthy of being redeemed. Would you like me to do something in your life? Paul, come follow me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Again, this idea of it, it wasn't lost on him. He wasn't just like, eh, okay, moving on. But, but it changed him. It affected him. He says, no, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Any of the other apostles. He's like, guys, I worked harder than the rest of you. I mean, and by human standards, objectively, he did. Like, he got after it. But he even checks himself there. It says, but, but listen, listen, listen. It's not about how hard I worked for God. I can't earn my salvation. I can never be good enough. It's not about me cleaning my life up. He says, no, no, again, it's the grace of God that was in me. Like everything I am and my life and my change and who I am, it's, it's all credit to God. It's all credit to Jesus. It's all about what he has done. He showed up and changed me. I love it. Paul's like, here's the gospel. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's the gospel in my life. It's the good news in my life. It's what he did for me. He wraps the idea with verse 11 saying, so whether then it's they, talking about the other apostles, talking about those other witnesses, or whether it's me, so we proclaim and so you have believed. There it is again. God's done, done something. We've told you about it. We've shared it with you. You've believed it. It can change your life too. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. We proclaim, you believe. The most crucial thing, Paul did a lot of things. He wrote the letters. He, you know, he, he, he organized like kind of generosity campaigns for churches that were in need at that time so other Christians would support him. Paul did all kinds of things, taught all kinds of things, but the most important thing that he ever did was went from city to city saying, I'm going to share with you the thing that has changed my life. Here's the good news of Jesus. Here's the good news that King Jesus has come. He would go on, and, you know, he talked about the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the appearance of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. He goes on in that chapter to, to, to even like kind of flesh that out even more and says that the Christ was the first fruits of resurrection, uh, meaning like he was kind of the first one to be raised from the dead, but he won't be the last. But the promise is that those of us that are followers of Jesus, because Christ is raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. The Christian hope is not disembodied bliss in heaven someday. The Christian hope is that Jesus returns and we are on a physical cre created planet with physical resurrection bodies, with, with living and existing and, and experiencing the goodness of God with no sign of sin, shame, death, guilt, pain. It's all gone and we live the lives that God had originally intended before sin and evil infected all of it. He's like, Christ is the first fruits. It's coming for you too. He goes on to continue talking about the, the, that, that first fruits of resurrection and that now, even now, Jesus is reigning, he is ruling, he is on the throne. And the day will come when he returns, when he puts all power, all dominion under his feet. And even death itself will be defeated. And it's just like, yeah, that's the gospel. That whole story of God's redemptive work throughout history, where it's been and where it's going, and that we get invited into that, it is a story of a king and a kingdom. King Jesus, the crucified risen king, the victorious king, the loving king, the just king. He's our king. The good news is that he has come and we're invited to be a part of his kingdom. And like Paul, nothing that we have to do but by the grace of God, by saying I trust in his life, his death, his resurrection. I just want to be a part of that. And he says, okay, welcome in. But just like Paul experienced and like he said to those churches, it's going to mess with you. You're not going to stay the same. You're going to be transformed and it's going to be amazing. That's why Jesus in the gospel is such good news. It's more than just sometimes the surface thing that we get. Sometimes if you've grown up in church or you've been in church enough, it's, it's, it's easy to just boil it down to a story of simply personal salvation. 
It's me and Jesus, I'm saved, and so I can kind of go about my business, and so that's good news. That's part of the good news, but it's not all of it. It's good news because, yes, my sin is forgiven, but it's also good news because Jesus has defeated the powers of cosmic evil. Like, there, there, is, there are forces of evil and death and destruction in the world around us that are greater than just, like, what humans do. And Jesus has defeated them, and they will be finally uh, rid of when he returns. It's good news because Jesus has conquered death, which means it's good news because he's the first fruits of resurrection, and we await that as well. It's good news because as Paul started his gospel and says, Christ... The king has come. It's good news because as much as we don't like to admit it as humans, we really need a king. Like, we're real, we, we try to be our own kings, and we're bad at it. And like, there, there is this individualistic streak in us that says, nobody will tell me what to do. I will be the captain of my own ship. I will run my life, and I can do this. And like, objectively, we have a long human history. We have a lot of personal experiences that tell us that usually goes really, really bad. There's always a lot of pain involved when I am the king, the final authority in my own life. It's that song that we just started learning it last week. We sang it again this week, the opening of that song. It says, you know, I've been told to like, live my own truth, chase after whatever makes me happy. Like, just, just go and just be your own king, make your own decisions. But that, that, that part that's so cutting, I mean, even for my own life, is just like, I found myself more lost than ever, enslaved to my own desires, my own passions. It's like, I'm not free <laughs> I'm enslaved to my own appetites and what I want all the time, but Jesus comes and offers freedom by putting him as the king of our lives. It's good news because he's the king. He's in control of our lives and of the world. We don't have to flip out. He's got it. It may not go how we want it to go, when we want it to go that way, but he's got it. It's good news because in the meantime, he sends his spirit to live and to dwell and to empower those of us who are his followers. It is good news. It's a good news that radically transforms everything about me in the best way imaginable. And that's what happened in Paul's life. He went from murderous, judgmental, religious guy to self-sacrificial, loving, gospel-declaring guy who changed the world. Literally, the apostle Paul changed the world. I mean, I mean, outside of, I mean, I get it's, it's God's power, it's God's grace, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. But other than that, putting that aside, no one has been more responsible for like why Christianity took off and shaped the West like it did than the Apostle Paul. Like we can trace back, like we're sitting in this room and we can trace that back to Paul telling someone and other people telling other people and other people telling other people all the way down the line to where we are right now because the gospel transformed him and it transformed literally billions of people throughout history along the way and it's still transforming people today. And it began with the decision from Paul and from others to say, I am going to share and I am going to pass on what I first received. I'm going to pass it on to you. And we are invited into that same thing, that same story, that same kind of one to the next, to the next, to the next, says, I've received something, and I'm not going to keep it to myself. I want to share it with you. I want to be generous with sharing the good news. I want to be generous by sharing the good news. Now, I know as soon as some of you hear that, you're like, ah, I'm flipping out inside a little bit because, like, I can't talk to people. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't have enough information. I don't know enough theology. I can't, like, I can't talk that well. But let me just kind of comfort us in, 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 saying, in saying this, that sharing the good news is less about dispensing facts and less about winning arguments and convincing people and a lot more about just telling other people about our experience with Jesus and then watching him work. Again, this is the pattern that we see. Uh, Paul, what did he say? He came to me as one abnormally born. I persecuted the church, but he showed me grace. And out of what he has done for me, let me tell you a little bit about that. 
And similarly, when we share, again, our own experience with Jesus, we're able to share that with people through our words, through our actions, how he's working in our lives as we do our part. Jesus shows up, he takes over, and he is the one who leads others into an encounter with him. It's really good news because it means all the pressure is off of us. You're not responsible. You don't have to convince anybody to follow Jesus. You don't have to have all the right answers. The call for us is to just be, be faithful in declaring God's goodness in our lives and saying, man, it's all about him. It's what he's done. And as we personally continue to encounter Jesus and be transformed by Jesus, that desire to tell people is going to grow in us. So here's a couple of things to do real practically as we wrap up to begin down this journey of sh- being generous with sharing the good news. Let's ask some questions. Number one, why is Jesus good news to me? So kind of taking inventory. Last week we talked about being generous with our time. We said, hey, the first thing we got to do is be honest. Where does my time go? And so kind of taking inventory, hey, if, if I were to ask you, why is Jesus good news to you? I don't, I, don't want, I don't want 1 Corinthians 15 and say, well, here's why, and Jesus died and was risen. Like, that's important, but for you, why is Jesus personally good news to you in your life? What has he done? The Apostle Peter, in one of his letters, says, hey, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. He doesn't say always be prepared to win an argument or teach theology. He says, just be prepared to tell reason, people, why do you have hope in Jesus? If I were to ask you in a sentence, can you tell me that? Maybe for you, it's working that out. Say, you know what, why is Jesus good news to me? Maybe I'll start there. Here's the next question to ask then is, how then is he working in me? Because he is working in you. We see him working throughout the scriptures. We see him working throughout history. Similarly, God is working in your life. And those are the places where you can begin to see the good news working itself out in you and you can share that with others. And again, the power of the gospel is more than just sharing your personal salvation story. That's cool, that's important if you wanna share that with people. But it's also in the, in the day-to-day things of how God is working in you. And so maybe it's simply a story of, you know what, there was a time when my life was so difficult and I would not have made it through without him. That's how he's working in you. Maybe I heard a couple stories from people in our church over the past couple of weeks of how God like brought physical healing into their life. That's how God is working in them. Maybe it's a, a story of you know, struggling with mental health and anxiety and depression. Maybe God healed you from that or maybe you're still going through it but you, you had this peace and this comfort knowing I'm not on my own and that's how God is working in you. Some of you have experienced freedom from addiction because of Jesus and that's the story of how he's working in you. Sometimes it's not even in those big, massive things that we think. Sometimes it's just like, you know what? I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. Amen, that's how he's working in me. I don't fly off the handle on my kids as much as I used to. That's Jesus working in you. Like, don't downplay that stuff. Because what happens is when those stories come up, there are opportunities then for other people who are going through the same thing for you to say, here's how he worked in my life. He can do it in yours too. How is Jesus good news to me? How is he working in me? And then finally, what's one story that I can share this week Find one of those things that he's doing in you and say, all right, here's a way that I can share it. Here's something, here's a way that I can, I can tell someone. And here's, here's what I guarantee, and this is a little bit scary, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make this promise. It says, if you answer that question, why he's good news to me, if you figure out a way that he's working in you and say, okay, I've seen him working here, I've seen him working here. If you begin praying, God, would you give me an opportunity to share how you're working in my life with someone around me? That opportunity will come up. You're going to be at work, you're going to be at school, you're going to be doing something, and someone's going to be like, oh, man, I'm just really struggling with this, and you're going to feel that internal nudge that says, I struggled with that, or that was part of my story, and Jesus did something, and this is that moment to to share with them. Go for it. And in that moment, don't feel like you've got to convince them or tell them everything. It's just a story, a testimony to who God is. Hey, I've been there. I'm sorry that you're going through that. But Jesus showed up, and here's how he was with me in that. Here's how he brought me through that. He can do the same for you. And I'm here to walk with you on the journey. 
That's what we do. Like the power of the gospel to change people's lives. Jesus has been changing lives through his good news for 2,000 years. He's not going to stop today. He's going to keep doing it. And so I encourage you to just step into that. It can change the world around us. And I don't want you to leave thinking either that like it's just about, okay, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. It can change other people. Please hear me when I say he can change you too. Sometimes I think we can sit in church and we can do this and we can think that that's for other people, but it's not for me. Jesus has the power, the good news has the power to change every single one of you in here today. And that's maybe for, for some of you, you're sitting here, you're watching online, you're like, I'm not really a Christian. I, I, don't, I don't know if I buy any of this. I'm telling you, he has the power to change your life today. And maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. It's not a one and done thing. Jesus has the power to change your life today. His good news can flood your hearts and change who you are. And the beautiful thing about it is what the Apostle Paul said. It's not anything that we do. It's God showing his immeasurable grace to us by what he has done. So let's be people, man, that are just changed by God and share those stories with the people around us. If you want to talk about that today, like I'm going to be hanging out at HC Connect after the service. I would love to chat with you about following Jesus or what your next step is. Um, But just trust in him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you have come, um, that you have revealed yourself to us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our, in our hurt, in our sin, in the death around us. You did not leave us there. You were not willing to, to, to leave us and to discard us, but you showed up. You came near. God became man. Jesus, you walked among us, lived the perfect life, died a death we should have died, rose from the dead. Lord, I pray that that, that truth would just allow us to to live lives transformed by your gospel, that the good news would be just that to us, that it would be good news that our king has come, our king is here, your spirit is moving and working within us. Lord, continue to transform us as we leave this place, as we be kingdom people, as we be gospel people in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.